Now, if people did that one thing and recognized that they can get better over time, I think you would find the number of people that sort of get stuck in that death loop would be much, much smaller. When you change your beliefs and your values, you change your behaviors, and it's the behaviors that end up giving you a desired outcome. So even though your excuses are valid, if you make them, you will not achieve your goals. So don't make them and see how far you can go. Their goal is super vague. Make more money. That's fucking vague. Get better. That's vague. Um, you need something that is very specific, that has a how much, that has a buy when. Um, it's it's got to be just crushingly specific. You know, mentioned at the top of this, if it doesn't violate the laws of physics, then it is possible. Um, and that they could do so much more, but they had to believe that it was possible. Because it is all about a series of actions that either move you towards your goal or away from your goal. And that's it. And most people live in a world where the goals are so vague, they feel like they're doing something and they're just treading water. Hey guys, and welcome to this ultra super special episode of the I Love Success podcast. This week, I have Tom Bilyeu on the show, and I can confidently say that I truly believe that this will be one of the most epic conversations I've ever had on the show. So no pressure, Peter, no pressure, Tom. And you might know Tom as the man who co-created Quest Nutrition, the billion dollar brand, and also is the host and co-founder of Impact Theory. But I know Tom from five lessons that he taught me without probably even knowing it. And I just wanna start by sharing that to set the tone of this week's show and then we get started. So the first thing Tom taught me was that my life is an exact reflection of my own choices. Second is the only belief that matters is that you can learn anything. And three, I'm trying to redefine success. That's why I've been meeting with over 200 game changers and thought leaders from all over the world is this, the definition of success. And I really love Tom's definition of success, how you feel about yourself when you're with yourself. Number four, be good at something that matters. And maybe the most important thing that really kind of blew my mind, unless it violates the law of physics, it is possible. So without further ado, let's welcome the legendary Tom Bilyeu to the I Love Success podcast. What's up, dude? Thank you for having me, man. Of course. You know, I'm honored to have you on. I've actually been in your house, watched one of your shows, and you've been kind of an inspiration for me building my brand uh, trying to, you know, give as much as I can to the world. So first off, thanks for that. And, you know, Tom, I want to go deep. I want to do this heart to heart, and I, I want to start off by talking about the tough shit that we sometimes have a hard time talking about. So would you mind sharing what was the worst day on your life, and how did that profoundly change you as a human being? Wow, that's interesting. Um, I don't have a ready-made answer for the worst day of my life, partly because of the way that I think about self-narrative. Um, I think it, so admittedly, I'm sort of grasping here, but the, the day that I felt my lowest um, was the day, it was a good and bad day. So for those that know my story, this started, I wanted to be a filmmaker, graduated, had no idea how to get into the industry, met these two entrepreneurs, and they said, look, you're coming to the world with your hand out. If you want to control the art, you have to control the resources to come with us and get rich. So I joined them. We started working in business and flash forward, it was probably about six and a half years in. 
um, that I realized I, I'm just so profoundly miserable. Um, and so I finally went in and quit. And it ends up being one of the most important days of my life and ends up being the thing that gives birth to Quest Nutrition. But on that day, um, not only did I feel dead inside from having worked there, I felt like I was um, leaving my brothers high and dry. And I felt really shitty about that. It felt like failure. And so I couldn't have imagined that feeling like I had hit a breaking point would end up being retold in my own mind as like the beginning of like the the best run of my life. Um, but at the time, it just felt bad, man. It just felt really gnarly. It felt like I was abandoning them. It felt like I was giving up on myself. It, it, it was just all around horrible. Um, but it ended up being critically important because they ended up admitting that they felt the same, that they weren't having fun anymore. And, you know, that we probably should um, rethink the business. We ended up out of that launching quest. So, of course, it ends up being this huge win. Uh, but at the time, woof, it, it really felt gnarly. Yeah. And, and Tom, why do you think that there's so many people out there that are, you know, feeling the same thing? You know, they're successful, quote unquote, having a, a good career, but they're, they're fucking empty inside, you know? Why do you think that is so common? And how do we, what do we do to help people, you know, tap into their why? Ooh, that is a big question, my friend. Uh, so let's try to streamline this. I'm going to give you uh, a part of the answer and then you push in which direction you want to go. Yeah. Um, a big part of the reason that people end up feeling sort of lost, hopeless, frustrated, scared, alone, um, is they don't understand the physics of the human condition. So most people end up there because they have a fixed mindset. So they believe that their talent and intelligence are fixed traits. And they have so much self-esteem caught up in being good, right, smart, um, that life becomes this constant, you're not good enough story. And because they don't think they can change, it just really starts to weigh them down, which is why you see a lot of optimism when people are young. And then that sort of gets crushed out of them over time because they don't recognize the truth of the human condition, which is that you're designed to learn and grow and get better. And so you have to invest this huge amount of time and energy into getting better. But it starts with telling yourself a different story and about who you are and building your self-narrative uh, in terms of pride around something anti-fragile to use Nassim Taleb's phrase. So the only thing that I've found is to shift your identity and your pride from being good and right and smart and worthy to being the learner. Now, if people did that one thing and recognize that they can get better over time, I think you would find the number of people that sort of get stuck in that death loop would be much, much smaller. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I just listened to, you know, uh, This Is Water by David Foster Wallace this morning. And I mean, that speech is deep, right? And kind of talking about like how how most of us don't tap into our own mind and use it as a force of, of nature. And I know you you were so angry with this when you saw all these amazing people that couldn't tap into that. And that's why I love what, what, what you're doing. And, and I mean, my life has profoundly changed for the last four or five years since I started meeting game changers. And I mean, even before that, I was a world medalist. So I was, had a strong mindset. But I mean, when I see kids are out there that don't have that and they're around people with, a, with a, like a fixed mindset. So what do you do if you are in an inner city, like your parents, they don't believe in 
in the growth mindset and they're telling you just, you know, just focus on what's in front of you. Like, how do we, how do we help those kids? Because those are the kids that, that makes me happy, you know? That, that's a, a two-part answer. So part number one is what we're doing right now, which is what I call direct-to-camera. It, it is just hitting the logical centers of the brain, telling people, think like this, act like this. Um, and I find that that hits about 2% of the world. Uh, not a big number. If you're like me and you're obsessed with scale, that's a, a very distressing number. Um, it is precisely the reason people say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. It is, you know, people that have learned something, something hard won, and they want to share it with somebody else. And, and I think it's probably born of parents trying to, you know, offer something to their kids. And they see just how incredibly difficult it is um, that people have to, you know, make their own mistakes. So when you're attacking the logical or attacking the problem through the logical centers of the brain, um, you will deeply impact some people, which is, of course, why you keep doing this, why I keep doing this. Uh, but to get the 98%, you really do have to bypass the logic and go to emotion. And that emotion could be through music. It could be um, through story. Uh, and that's where I'm approaching the problem. So most people think of me as the straight-to-camera guy. But I think of myself. I'm trying to build the next Disney Studios. Yeah. Um, so when I, I don't want to be the next Tony Robbins. I want to be the next Walt Disney. And the reason I want to be the next Walt Disney is because of what you're saying. So the very thing that animates me is that right now, the number one predictor of your future success is the zip code that you grow up in. And that's just not okay for me. So when I think about how you solve that problem, it really is about making sure nobody gets to the age of 15. So there's a thing called the age of imprinting from 11 to 15, where people really build their belief system, their value system, all that. Um, so in that age of imprinting, making sure that they get imprinted with a growth mindset. Um, on a limbic emotional level. Um, so that's the, the one-two punch, the logical and then the emotional. Yeah, and I mean, I know you've been talking about a pandemic even before this pandemic hit. We're talking about like the pandemic of the mind. And it's, I mean, for people watching you now, they see you, you're like made all this money, you created these businesses, you're in a nice house. I really liked your house, by the way. But I mean, can we just go back to Tom Bilyeu like as a kid? in Tacoma, Washington? Like, what's what going on in your mind, man? Well, honestly, back then, I was, I would get giddy whenever I thought about my future. So I was one of those people, my mom and dad just kept telling me, you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to do. Um, I'm a product of 80s cinema, where it was like, just everybody was wealthy, and life looked amazing. And, you know, so I grew up just knowing I was going to be rich. And so it was just this, drive that I had in me. And I, I remember one of my friends was like, oh man, I knew one day you'd be rich because you, in life, you get what you believe in. And he said, you believed in money. And part of this was, I was very frustrated as a kid that um, I couldn't have all the things that I wanted. Now, the, the ironic punchline of my entire life is that I chased money for a long time, come up emotionally bankrupt, realized chasing money is an absolute joke. But if you want to know what I was like as a kid, um, that was my obsession. I was going to get rich. I was going to get rich. I just kept telling everybody that I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. And of course, my family, nobody had ever gotten rich. So my family would laugh at me to my face. They would laugh at me behind my back, um, you know, with love. But they just thought this, this kid's so dumb. The world doesn't work like that. Um, you know, what makes him think he's going to go be rich. And so I was obsessed. And then it was only real life as I got older that slapped me around and made me realize chasing money, um, it ends up being a terrible way to make money, 
and it's emotionally unfulfilling. And so I didn't end up making money until I said, I'm no longer going to think about money. I'm going to pursue value creation um, and realizing that the only thing that mattered was how I felt about myself when I was by myself, like you were saying at the beginning of the episode. Um, then everything changed because when you change your beliefs and your values, you change your behaviors and it's the behaviors that end up giving you a desired outcome. So when I was young, super optimistic, then I go through this period of just crestfallen, think that I'm too stupid to succeed, feel lost, hopeless, scared, alone, you know, laying on the floor of my unfurnished apartment because I can't afford anything. Uh, and then ultimately end up making my dreams come true. But it, it was, you know, this sort of very um, roller coaster type journey. Yeah. And I mean, how do you like when you're laying on that floor in your, 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 your flat and you're like, how do you pick yourself up? Did you have that in your mind or was it a book or a movie? Like what was it that made you get some type of confidence to, to pick yourself up? It was a book and a movie. So uh, <laughs> it was actually books and movies, but um, to really put a fine point on it, it was the movie, The Matrix, which gave me a new metaphor with which to think about my life, which was belief, that belief was the problem. And once I could believe I could do something, then I could actually learn how to do it. But first I had to believe it was possible. It's what I call now the only belief that matters, that if I put time and energy into getting better, I actually will get better. Um, that's sort of the definition of the growth mindset. Um, and then the other thing was reading about the brain. That was a huge breakthrough for me. And once I started really understanding the neuroscience of change, then I was actually able to change. But I needed to, um, you know, maybe this isn't true for everybody, but I needed to understand the mechanism of change. And once I understood the, the mechanism that brain plasticity is real and that I really could get smarter, get better, get faster, you know, get whatever, I could improve dramatically, um, then it, it allowed me to believe it. And like I said, once I believed it, then my actions fell in line, and then I actually started improving. Yeah, and I love uh, talking about that. And also, you know, I, I heard you say before, like, you chased money, you got money, almost like, you know, when you were, uh, like sex, you know, when you, when you have it, and then like, oh, wow, it wasn't that that cool, right? But you said one thing that I really love, and that is money facilitates your most beautiful dreams, and that rich is way, way better than, than being poor, right? So can we just elaborate on that? Because I know there's there's people out there that, that says money is bad and, and all of the, these things. And then we see someone like you coming out and investing so much money and time where you can just go off and you know buy an island or move to Greece with your wife, right? Yeah, it's uh, money. Money is interesting, and we're going into a very um, scary period. So I've never talked about the culture war before, um, and I've recently found myself compelled to offer a different narrative because I think the narrative that you're hearing now is self-destructive. It's self-defeating. So um, money is is a, a tool. It it gives you resources to do things. Um, so thinking that money is inherently problematic is to fundamentally misunderstand what money is. So it'd be like saying a knife and a fork is uh, inherently evil. That doesn't make sense. A knife and a fork lets you do something. Um, and in the context of food, it lets you eat something. But what it lets you eat is completely up to you. And if you're eating Cheetos, uh, then things aren't going to work out so well for you. But if you're eating you know, healthy food, um, then that's totally different. But the knife and the fork were agnostic. So yes, if people do shitty things with their money, then I can see why people would think, oh, well, money's problematic. And also people chasing money as a proxy for um, dominion over others. Uh, 
um, that's also ugly. Or even just the Scrooge McDuck phenomenon of becoming obsessed with money in and of itself and not recognizing that money is merely a facilitator. So if you went to somebody's house and you saw them working day and night, neglecting their family, not engaging with their friends, and then you're like, what are you doing all this for? And they show you just a room full of knives and forks. You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. And that's the same with money. If you're getting money just to have money, you, you have failed to misunder, you failed to understand what money is. So, you know, money is a great facilitator. So it lets you do things but it comes down to what you do that is interesting, right? So for me, I wanted to amass wealth so that I could control the art, right? So I could make films the way that I wanted to make them so I could empower people so that I could make sure that nobody got to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. Now, I don't think people were going to say that that's you know, problematic, um, but if they don't understand the nature of money, if they don't recognize that money is in and of itself inert and it comes down to the dreams that you're trying to um, bring to fruition, then you're going to get these really distorted ideas of money. And they stem from people saying that money is evil without having any, anything to really back that up. So I would say the lack of money is wildly problematic, um, but money well used is not. Yeah. And, you know, Tom, one thing that I love about you is that you've been with your wife for so many years and you guys know, knew each other before any of this happened. So can you just talk a little bit about like uh, meeting Lisa and how, how you together as a team have created such a beautiful success in your life? Yeah, man, for sure. I love talking about my wife. So uh, we met, I was her teacher. This is a school for adults. <laughs> I feel compelled to mention that. So after she graduated college, she came to the U.S. and I was teaching like a continuing education course type thing in film. And uh, she was in my class and we hit it off. And uh, I thought that, you know, this was perfect. She was legally obligated to leave the country because she was from England. And I thought this will be amazing. She's here, you know, for a short period of time. We can have this um, fling and it'll be a lot of fun. And she was thinking the same thing. And then right before she left, I was like, wow, I'm actually really into this chick, man. And so I had had some time and money saved up. So instead of um, going to New York, which I had planned, I was saving the money to, to go to New York to see if I wanted to move there. And instead of going to New York, I traveled to England to spend time with her. And on the flight back, I was like, oh my God, I'm in love. This, this sucks. Like She's now so far away. What am I going to do? And uh, we spent two years doing long distance back and forth, trying to spend as much time with each other as we could. And, uh, and then ultimately, at the end of that two years, we got married. And we've now been, we've been together for 20 years. We've been married for 18, and literally 18 as of three days ago. So um, yeah, we've, we have found ways to not only make the marriage work, but really thrive. And to your point about building something together, um, that's been one of the ways that, that we've made it thrive is... Um, pushing each other to grow and to improve and change um, and communicating just like massively and and quite frankly keeping our sex life on fire and making sure that that's rad you know one of my my top pieces of advice for couples man is bed death is real and you you just can't let it happen and going back to neurochemistry right just you're having a biological experience and one of the ways that we bond to another human being is through sexual contact it releases you know, all of these hormones that have to do with bonding. And so um, recognizing the, the neurochemistry of bonding and ways to trigger that, it's, it's really, really important. And then knowing how to navigate the change from sort of that early, hot sexual energy um, and, and really being that fiery, intense, cocaine-like love 
that you're in in the beginning and how that transitions into long-term pair bonding love, which to me is far more um, interesting and wonderful, but it doesn't have the, the sort of amplitude you know, if you take someone who's newly in love and someone who's on cocaine, literally, and you put them in an fMRI machine, you can't tell the difference. So that's how intense that early love is. Um, but it's not sustainable. And just like a cocaine addiction will become a problem. Uh, if you're addicted to that initial phase of love, you find those people that are just in those cycles of like, they fall in love, and they fall out, and they fall in love, and they fall out. Um, and I knew that I wanted something that was, you know, forever. And so figuring out how to navigate that and, and being honest about what the truth of the human condition is, um, the realities of neurochemistry, the, the way that love changes, the way that people change, and that you better be able to navigate all of that. Um, so my wife and I have, have sort of un, inadvertently um, started talking a lot about relationships. And um, we have a show that we're going to be launching in September called Relationship Theory that we've done sort of ad hoc in the past. And, and now we're launching it as its own um, channel. Um, because, you know, to be entrepreneurs together, to build companies together, it's really hard gives the wrong impression, but it, it is intricate and complicated. And so to navigate that, you, you come up with some pretty powerful lessons. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I want to create success in, the, in all areas of my life, right? Uh, and I see so many great people that are stuck in their relationships or, you know, there's so we see the divorce rates are like crazy. Like, what do you want, what do you want to say to people that, that say like, no, I, I can't, I can't be successful and also be in a relationship. Like, like, how do you, how can we help those people? Well, I mean, the, the key is you have no moral obligation to be in a relationship. So if you'd rather focus on your career, then focus on your career and be unapologetic about it. Um, I think most people will find that life is, is certainly more enjoyable. It has more dimension if you're in a good relationship. But personally, I would rather be alone than be in a bad relationship. And um, a lot of people that I encounter seem to be living out that they would rather be in a bad relationship than be alone. That I don't understand. Um, but you know, you have to know what your priorities are. And so for me, my number one priority is my marriage, because it's the thing that's brought me the most joy. Um, so I'm not conflicted. But the thing I give the most time to is my business. So recognizing how to deal with that, that you have one thing that demands more time, but another thing that might actually be more important, and then how to make sure that you allocate the time to that to make it as amazing and rewarding as humanly possible um, is very, very important. And I find most people just don't have the tools to do both. So they don't have the tools maybe to run their business efficiently, and they don't have the tools to um, you know, deal with their relationship effectively, and they may not even know how to deal with stress. So now you have two things that actually bring stress into their lives. So with their current skill set, they probably are assessing the situation accurately. They probably can't run a business and effectively run a relationship. And so like everything in life, that comes down to skill set. So you have to improve your skill set if you want to actually be able to do both of those things. Yeah, well, I guess you're right. And I mean, one thing that I really want to dig deep with you, because you met so many people and you, you put so much thought into this is your definition of, of success. Because I'm, I'm really trying to redefine the concept of success. And I love, I remember hearing you saying this, that like how you feel about yourself when you're with yourself. So can you just talk about how did you, like, was that an epiphany? How did you come up with that? And like, why, why is that? Why do you think that's the definition of success for you? So it becomes, if you run a thought experiment, 
it will become really apparent really fast what actually matters. And the thought experiment is this. I want you to imagine for a second, like really think about this, that you are just a brain in a jar and that all the experience that you're having right now isn't real. And there's nothing, literally nothing you could do to prove that that isn't true because your brain is um, merely processing electrical and chemical signals. So if I could manipulate those electrical and chemical signals, then I could manipulate your perception of reality. And since perception is reality, at least for you, um, all that matters is, is how you perceive it. And so I heard, um, there's a guy named David Eagleman, he's a neuroscientist, and he said something that, that really made this come home for me. And he said, uh, think about this, your brain is encased in total darkness, and yet you think you see light, but light actually never reaches your brain. Photons fall on the photoreceptors in your eye and are translated into electrical and chemical signals that are then sent to your brain. And same with sound, right? The air is agitated and the sound waves reach the eardrum and your eardrum translates that into electrical and chemical signals that is then interpreted by your brain. But in reality, you actually are a brain in a vat. And it just so happens that you have these things that take input and then translate that into these chemical and electrical signals. And they create a virtual reality for you. So I was like, fuck, man, that's crazy. So I, you know, whether we're in the matrix or not is quite ir irrelevant because each of us has created the matrix inside our skull. And once you realize that, that all of these things that you perceive as being external to you are actually a representation of some sort of phenomena out there, but it's a representation in your mind. And all you actually have to go on is that representation. So then I was like, well, what if that representation isn't 100% accurate? And so it begins to put you in this realm of all that really matters is what's going on inside my mind. And then, you know, hearing about billionaires that commit suicide, it's like, well, it's not accolades, it's not money. So if it isn't those things, like what leads somebody to commit suicide? It's neurochemistry, right? Like depression is an easy one to point at. So depression is from a... a phenomenological perspective from just like what you feel, what you are going through um, from, you know, actual feeling and sensation is so negative and so deeply unpleasant that at some point you say, I would just rather not exist. And the way that I've always likened it is if you believe that you would never feel good again, what would be the point of living? There actually wouldn't be. Now it's a false belief, but if you believe that you are forever going to feel badly, then now you're in, in real trouble. And the thing that most colors people's feelings are perceptions of themselves. So if we know that the only thing that matters is feelings and the, the biggest driver by a landslide of how you feel is how you feel about yourself, then literally just sort of mathematically, the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself. Now, the reason I say when you're by yourself is because people can prop you up, someone could big you up, you know, give you some hype, and for a minute you feel good, uh, but then you're taking a warm shower and you feel like shit again. It's like, that's not very useful. So you wanna get to the point where you're, you aren't swayed easily by other people's perception of you. You wanna get to the point where you believe in what you do, you believe in your motivations, and that you're showing up every day and playing all out and going super hard um, and making the most of your life. And if you believe that, then even if other people are saying, you know, bad things about you, I won't say that you won't feel that because you will. We're a social creature, so it matters to us what other people think, but you become much more stable because you, for instance, if somebody were to tell me that I'm dumb, it would sting, but it doesn't send me into a death spiral because my belief is that I'm the learner. So I don't value myself 
at, at a neurochemical level, um, because I don't value myself for being smart, I don't get that punishment neurochemically from thinking I'm dumb. Instead, it triggers a habit loop trigger of, hey, remember, you're the learner. So yes, it's stung to feel like, oh man, I messed it up or that person thinks I'm stupid, but it reminds me that I can learn and I can get better at that. And so I just simply ask one question. Do I want to put the time and the energy to getting good at that thing? And if I do, then great, go get good at it. Don't waste time feeling bad that I'm currently not good at it. And if I don't want to put time and energy, then really don't waste time feeling badly about it because I don't want to get better at it anyway. So it's absolutely fine that I'm not good at it. So that person's you know, take on me while it stung briefly, it, it actually doesn't matter. And so when you have those defenses, you, you hit this equilibrium and you can feel good about yourself um, even when external stimuli would make an average person feel badly. Yeah, I love that. And I know you, you have talked about this before, you know, love and hate that we all are hard to ourselves and it might even be good if it's like on an 80-20 balance. Is that, is that accurate? Is it good to sometimes be hard on yourself as well? Well, you of all people know the answer to that question. So when you step into a ring and somebody's trying to punch you in the face, it's like you're either good or you're not. And if you delude yourself and are always like, no, man, but you're trying so hard. And then you go into the ring and get your ass handed to you. Um, that is a great example of where there is a real world consequence to lying to yourself um, about where your skill set is versus saying, look, I'm never going to beat myself up so much that I feel badly about who I am and thusly don't work as hard because I just feel defeated. But I am going to kick myself in the ass. I am going to push myself harder. I am going to say that's not enough. That's not good enough. And to me, not good enough isn't a value on you as a human being. It's a, it, it is an assessment of your skill set. And if your skill set really isn't good enough, I don't see why people are so weird. Well, I, of course, I know the answer. It is foolish to allow yourself into a mental trap where you can't say to yourself, my skill set is not good enough. And the people that can say that without diminishing their sense of self-worth are the people that push themselves to improve and get better. And I find that holding myself to a high standard and not valuing myself for achieving the high standard, but rather valuing myself for holding myself to the high standard and actually sincerely pursuing the high standard, if those things are what make me feel good about myself, then even if I don't hit it, I still feel awesome because I'm like, man, I'm willing to push myself harder than the average person. And that makes me feel good about myself. And by the way, pushing myself actually makes my skill set improve. So now I feel good about myself by going hard. And by going hard, I'm actually getting better because that's the nature of the human animal. And so now not only am I more effective in the real world, let's stick with the fighter example, I can actually defeat more opponents. And I feel better about myself just for having tried to improve my skill set. So it's one of those where you, you cannot lose. Whereas people that take the opposite strategy where they don't hold themselves to a high standard, so they never have to feel badly about missing it. They're like, no, it's fine. You don't need to be good at that. That's okay. Love yourself where you are. But then they find that in the real world, they're not effective. And so you get in this weird position where it's like, I don't even want to want something because I'm afraid I won't be able to achieve it. And so you live this small life and you get bitter and angry at people subconsciously that are achieving more and more and more. And you want to tear them down because you can't face pursuing that and the thought that you might fail at it because you build your self-worth around being something instead of becoming something. Yeah, I mean, that that is so great. I mean, this whole self-worth thing is, I think it's so many people out there that they are connected like if I'm good and I, I knew this as an athlete for many years you know in the beginning when I won I was worthy right and and then I kind of realized you know I'm still worthy because the people that are applauding me 
and saying, hey, Peter, you're great. And when, then when I lose, they're not even there. They don't really care about me. I need to start caring about myself. But I learned that through, you know, through losing in front of a lot of people. And how, how, do, how do we, like, for, do you have to learn by pain or can you learn other ways as well? You don't have to, but I find that most people do. So, you know, it, it, going back to just what are the physics of being a human? One of them is that pain lights up areas in the brain that have to do with focus and memory. So you're more likely to focus on something that went poorly that you felt badly about. You know, I think a lot of times people um, think that negative emotions are meant to be done away with, but they're really not. Negative emotions, they have a purpose, right? Or evolution would have gotten rid of them. So if you know that that pain has a purpose and that purpose is focus and memory, then it's like, well, let me focus on this thing that went wrong. The key though is in that moment, you have to be honest with yourself about what went wrong. If you try to blame other people, which is what I see happening in society now, it's like, man, you want to talk about something I've, I've said for years, not, not in this term, but basically pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And dude, I, that's exactly what I did in my own life. I stopped whining. I stopped telling myself that I was stupid and I just started working harder and my life turned around. It was like, oh shit, this actually works. And so holding myself to a high standard, pulling myself up by my bootstraps, it worked. And so I thought, oh, I just need to tell other people this. They're going to love it. They're going to be so excited to hear this from me. Um, and I did it. And now like the world has flipped and it's like, miss me with that. Pick yourself up by your bootstrap shit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the reality of how the world works. This is physics, man. There's nothing below this. This isn't an opinion. This, this is the nature of improvement. So I'm like, what are you talking about? It, it, fighting is such the perfect example. It's like, dude, you can tell somebody people should, should be impressed with your skill set the way that it is. And you shouldn't have to go train that hard. Like th this is the advice people give. You shouldn't have to work that hard to achieve or be successful. And dude, if people told that to a fighter and then they go in the ring with somebody who's grinding it the fuck out every day, holds himself to a crazy standard, pushes themselves hard. They walk in that ring, dude, they, they are going to get permanently injured. And that is the same advice we're now giving people that are stepping into the world, safe spaces, trigger warnings and shit like that. I'm like, are you out of your mind? That is making you soft and weak. Instead say, yo, the world is going to come at you with some crazy good arguments and you better know how to like defeat those arguments or be willing to learn from that person, adopt that new knowledge, always be open-minded, what I call um, strong convictions loosely held. I got that from somebody else. I don't remember who. I didn't think of it, but it's the right idea. And it's like, you believe in something, you have the, you know, the certainty to move forward, but you're always open to something new. That is what we should be teaching people because life is a fight, whether we want it to be or not. And if you go into that fight unprepared, you're going to get your ass handed to you. And so I just do not understand people that are approaching the world in a way that where you want to divorce yourself from the truth of the human condition. It's just crazy to me. Yeah, and I mean, it goes back to what, what, what we talked about in the beginning. My life is an exact reflection of my own choices. And when you really fucking embed that, I, I started doing that a couple of years ago. And I mean, before, sometimes when I competed, you know, the, the tatami where you compete, they were slippery. The referees were not on my side and like a whole bunch of bullshit. But once you start taking you know accountability for fucking everything it's it's pretty amazing can we just talk about that because i know people will say oh yeah i mean i can take accountability for most stuff but you know i can't do it for everything or you know this is not really my fault you know that i grew up here or or whatever it might be yeah so i'll introduce people to a phrase and now what so cool it's not your fault that you grew up where you grew up it's actually true 
It's not your fault that you had shitty parents. Um, that's true. The most sinister thing about excuses is that they are valid. But now what? But now what? But uh, it's like going into fighting. Okay. Hey, maybe you're um, too short. Maybe you don't have as much fast twitch muscle fiber as the next person. Maybe your parents weren't championship fighters. Uh, maybe they, um, you know, they smoked while they were pregnant. Uh, who the fuck knows? Like you were born, you didn't uh, get to decide what those circumstances are. But now what? I mean, really, now what? Like, do you want to be a championship fighter or not? So it's like, if you want to be a championship fighter, then the things you're going to have to do are, are pre-mandated. It's like, once you decide, I think this Russell Wilson said this, either Russell Wilson um, or, oh God, I'm blanking on his trainer's name. Anyway, um, Paul Malwad, I believe. They, you get to a point where your goal is going to make demands on you because there are, there are just physics to be encountered, right? So um, if you want to be the greatest fighter in your weight class, then you actually have to be able to win in a fight against the other fighters in your weight class. It's like, and they're going to be out training. So you actually have to be better. So it's like your skill set has to be superior to their skill set. And that just is what it is. And so, yeah, I, I don't understand. Um, no, I do understand. Here's why people make excuses. There is a thing called the psychological immune system. The psychological immune system has a job and that job is to make sure that you don't get crushed by, crushed by depression so that you don't think so little of yourself that you can't get out of bed. Cool. I'm glad that it exists. The problem is that when you overuse that, then you make everything somebody else's fault. You don't take the responsibility on yourself. And when you don't take the responsibility on yourself, you give up control. So if you say, well, I'll never be a championship fighter because I'm too short. I don't have enough fast switch fiber. I didn't have the right parents. I don't have enough money. Then what happens? You don't become a championship fighter. But so often we see people overcome the most absurd obstacles. There was a guy um, named Muggsy Bogues who played in the NBA. There was another guy named Spud Webb. One of them was five, I can't remember who was shorter, but one of them was five, seven, and the other was five, three. Okay. And they played in the NBA where the average height is like six, six. So they, they had every right to make excuses and say, I'll never play in the NBA, right? Nobody would have gone, oh no, of course you can. In fact, I'm sure the number of people that told them it will never happen for you was overwhelming. But if you don't do the things you need to do to win, you won't win, right? That, that is self-evident on its face. So even though your excuses are valid, if you make them, you will not achieve your goals. So don't make them and see how far you can go. Yeah, love that. And I mean, how do we meet people, you know, that are down on their luck, so to speak now with empathy and compassion? Maybe they see you and wow, I want to build myself up just like Tom did from from a lazy dude who like with habits created, you know, this amazing life. But right now, you know, I, I'm basically like you, I'm just laying on my, on my carpet and don't know what, what to do, man. Well, the good news is they're coming up in the air of the internet. Uh, if they, if they are hearing that question be asked and me utter this answer, they have already won. They're already doing the things they need to do. So you have to change your belief system. You have to change your self narrative. You have to surround yourself with people and ideas that empower you. Um, and empowerment simply means that your actions are the actions required to improve. And on a long enough timeline, if you focus on a skill set that has value and you just keep improving, 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 then ultimately you're able to close your eyes, imagine a world better than this one, open your eyes and make that world come true. That, that is my definition of power. So you can grow more powerful by um, encountering these ideas and then bringing them to bear on your own actions. 
Um, it's all about how you act. So if the person is willing to learn and then take action, they, they can make their life unrecognizable. And I will give them a phrase that they can repeat in their head um, that may help. So um, one, uh, if you go to my website for free, you can download the 25 beliefs that I think anybody needs to, to you know, make dramatic change in their life. Um, but a phrase that I'll give people to repeat is, you can't make a racehorse out of a pig, but you can make a really fast pig. So that phrase has been tremendously helpful. You may not ever be LeBron James, fair, but you can get 10 times, 100 times better at basketball than you are today. And if you pick anything that, that matters, any, and we'll just take money as an easy example. If you pick anything that monetizes and you build a skill set that's 10 times better than where you are now, imagine making 10 times the money that you're making now. Now, I will hypothesize you can get 100 times better at anything, right? The difference between a 13-year-old just beginning to play baseball and A-Rod is, in my mind, about 100x. So if we know that you can get 100 times better, now, where, wherever you are. So A-Rod times 100 is very different than me times 100 in baseball. But again, while I may not be able to make myself into a racehorse, I can become a really fast pig. And your life financially, your life romantically, your life anything if it's improved even tenfold, will be unrecognizable. So I just want people, your science seems to point to you're 50% hardwired and 50% malleable. If you focus on the 50% that's malleable and you tenfold your life, you, you will be unrecognizable. You will be able to have success that most people can only dream of, even if you weren't born with some just radical amount of natural talent in that area. Yeah. But how, how do you measure improvement? How do you do that in your life, Tom? I, I wrote a book about goal settings and I'm super excited about this. And I know you, you, you even said like, it's, have so big goals, have crazy big goals, but how do you measure improvement and, and, and make that help you in your everyday life uh, to build up yourself? You have to pick a metric that matters to you. Um, that metric could be as soft as number of days that I feel good about myself. And then you would keep a journal and you would give yourself a score. And let's say every day that on a scale of one to 10, every day that's above a seven is a day that I say, yeah, I felt good about myself today. And it's always going to be ebbs and flows throughout the day. But, um, and you just mark it off. It could be, I want to make $150,000 a year. Cool. I mean, that metric is real fucking easy. And so I would, in that case, if I'm working for somebody else, I would go in and say, what does a person who makes $150,000 a year as of today need to do? What role do they need to be in? What skill set do they need to have? And then you go about acquiring that skill set. And odds are you don't go from you know $75,000 to $150,000 in a year, but there's maybe three or four steps in between that. And you just go hard for each job, always asking what it takes so you get them to commit ahead of time to what that is. And now you can start checking that off. Do I have that skill set? Yes. Um, do I have that job? Yes. Am I on the right path? Yes. You know. And so you have to have a goal that's very specific, very specific. It needs to have a date, and then you need a metric by which you're judging your progress. So normally people don't fall down at the metric stage; they fall down at they don't have a goal stage. Their goal is super vague: make more money. That's fucking vague. Get better. That's vague. Um, you need something that is very specific, that has a how much, that has a by when. Um, it's it's got to be just crushingly specific. I agree with you. It has to be specific. And when I look back at the goals that I've written, it's sometimes crazy how you get what you ask for, right? And and sometimes I'm like, why didn't I ask for more, right? And I know like, uh, I think you were, I, I think you did this with when you had employees at Quest, right? You used to ask them the genie in a bottle question, right? 
what would you do if you could have anything? And at the end of the day, they said money and they said a million dollars. But I mean, you can never get more than you ask for, right? Dude, the magic genie question, that, that ended up changing the course of my life. More aptly, it ended up giving me a new why for the filmmaking. So when I realized that they should have, if money was what they wanted, they should have asked for an impossibly large amount of money. And then I realized they were all asking for a million dollars because to them, that was an impossibly large amount of money. But in LA, you can't even buy a house for a million dollars. And so I was like, what the fuck is going on? And so I just realized, yeah, you, you get what you ask for. If to you, it is unrealistic to strive for a million dollars so much so that a magic genie shows up that will give you anything you want, grant any wish. You ask for a million dollars. Uh, that, that is a frame of reference problem. That, that is getting people to understand how malleable they really are, how much more they could improve their skill set, and that they could get so good, like you, um, you know, mentioned at the top of this, if it doesn't violate the laws of physics, then it is possible. Um, and that they could do so much more, but they had to believe that it was possible. I want to talk about suffering. And I know like a lot of people, they respond very bad to suffering. Can you just talk about like how, how suffering actually can help you in your life and how, how to work on responding well to that? Yeah, the irony is that fulfillment is often born of suffering. So doing hard shit, we have something programmed into us probably because survival required you to do hard things. And so there had to be some sort of um, neurochemical feedback to make sure that you felt good when you did those things that led to your survival. So doing difficult things in and of themselves make people feel better. So if somebody came to me and they said that they were, um, you know, really struggling with self-worth or something like that, I'm, I'm going to give them three things to do. Take a cold shower every morning, work out and change your diet so that um, you're denying yourself cheat foods will, will round it to that. Now, the reason I would have them do those three things is there are just physiological benefits, even if there weren't psychological benefits. So working out obviously changes you down to a cellular level, ATP, your ability to generate energy, but also being strong makes you feel better about yourself. Watching your weights go up and you can lift heavier and heavier weights make you feel better about yourself. Showing up at the gym and being consistent and doing something that's difficult, pushing yourself, makes you feel better about yourself. A cold shower sucks, but it makes you feel better about yourself. Man, if I was ever in a space where I was not feeling good about myself, when I take a cold shower, I feel like a badass. I feel like I'm doing something other people cannot do. Other people cannot get themselves to do this. And here I am. Yeah. Like I can face this down. I can stand here, turn the shit on cold and I can rock this out. And I know other people are too weak. They can't do it. And even though it is just cold water on your body, man, it made me feel better about myself. So it's like, they're really simple things that are valuable because they are hard. Just, just because they're hard, they make you feel better about yourself. And doing that, I think, is, is really, really important. Now, if they're, um, the mechanism around suffering itself, some of it could be the release of endorphins, and that makes people feel better. Um, but usually, it's just that you know the, the cliche of anything worth having um, is going to be hard to do, right? And if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So it's like even just pursuing something that matters is probably going to be hard. And so being willing to face 
those hard things means that you're going to be able to accomplish more in your life. So for that reason, it's also super beneficial. Um, but you just have to tell yourself a different story because if you, the story you tell yourself about pain and suffering is that it's something that's meant to be avoided, that it's bad, then you're going to avoid it. But if the story you tell yourself about pain and suffering is I'm a badass for doing this and every amount that I suffer, I'm getting better, I'm getting stronger. And if I could push myself a little harder, I'm going to get better and stronger. And then you see in the real world that this has real world utility, that being stronger or better at math, physics, you know, fighting, whatever the case may be, that there's a real world utility to that, that it lets you do something. Now it's like you get into this positive feedback loop. You're telling yourself a story that makes sense and you're actually getting a real world result out of it. So framing is a huge part of making use of pain and suffering. Yeah. I mean, no pressure and no diamonds. Right. And one thing that I want to ask you, because there's so like, I know you wake up super early. When do you wake up? Four, four thirty. Yeah, so that that's usually the latest. Today I was up at two forty-five, so it it varies. I'd sleep without an alarm. I don't wake up on purpose. I just go to bed at nine, and I wake up at whatever time I wake up. Wow. Uh, yeah, that that's a that's a fucking badass. Uh, do you do you sleep well? Like, or is or do you wake up because you're because your why is so strong, or because I have that issue sometimes? You know, I just wake up because I want to get to work. You know, I want to start building my mission, and then I'm like, wow, what is that? You know, that's a big part of it. So there there are days for the most part I sleep well. Um, I get six to seven hours a night, almost every night. Um, some nights I miss that. Five is my minimum. If I've gotten less than five hours, I won't get out of bed. I will lay in bed for hours trying to fall back asleep because I absolutely despise being tired. And I don't think that people um, function optimally when they're tired. So this is not a heroic thing. Like I don't, the thing that I want people to be impressed by that I do is two things. One, I go to bed at 9 p.m. And two, I don't set an alarm. So if you go to bed at 9 p.m. and don't set an alarm and you wake up at seven in the morning, that's awesome. Get the sleep you need. Like this is a game of longevity. This is a game of um, high level cognition. And if you're not getting sleep, you are, you are really doing yourself a disservice. So it just so happens that one, I'm now in my mid forties. So it's like, I just sleep less than I used to. Um, and then two, I am excited. So, you know, I'm amped to get up out of bed and attack the day. I love what I work on. So getting up and knowing that, oh, I get to go, like I'm huge on problem solving. I really enjoy the act of problem solving. So getting to get up and work on a problem or learn, like right now I'm learning the language of anime, as weird as that sounds. So at 2.45, I come down, I'm watching anime, you know, and I'm learning something. Uh, it goes back to, you know, my desire to build the next uh, Disney studio. So there's so much excitement in what I'm trying to accomplish that that's definitely part of it. And yet you don't have to, you know, that that's what excites me, you know, because we see like I love talking about, you know, the underdog stories. But what we don't realize that there's a lot of super successful people that are still putting something in their mind that makes them keep working when they don't have to. Like, why do you even do it? Don't, don't you feel like, you know, just relaxing sometimes? Every now and then, I won't lie. I think, God, you know, am I sure? Am I sure I should be like going this hard? But here's here's what I know about the human condition, and so this is universal. So I would advise no one ever should um, retire. So the stats on people and how soon after they retire that they die is is really terrifying. Now, why is that? Because humans are motivated by five things, and the two most powerful things are meaning and purpose. And if you don't have meaning and purpose in your life, then you, you will slide towards depression. 
So finding something that really, really matters to you, I think is critically important. And then there are just personality types. So um, one thing that is, is like what I call the sickness. So my sickness is my dysfunction, the part of me that is broken, is that I need to matter. Um, so mattering matters to me. So I want to know that I show up every day and that I'm doing something that isn't just for myself. It needs to be for me too, but that it's also helping other people. Um, I'm wired for that and I've invested in that with my 50% that's malleable. So my 50% that's hardwired, I, I just love helping other people win. Um, and then the 50% that's malleable, I've invested into that being important to me. So um, helping other people gives me so much of my feeling good about myself when I'm by myself. Um, and it's filtered through the lens of it has to be real. So even if people get mad at me for saying something that's real, you would think, well, if you just want you know, that feedback of, of mattering to people, wouldn't you cater what you say to that? Um, and I wouldn't because I have something that matters even more to me, which is I, I need to have integrity. I need to only say things that I believe to be are true because when I don't, I don't feel good about myself when I'm by myself. So I know that I could build a much bigger business if I would just do videos about, look how rich I am and I can teach you to get rich. And I would make millions of dollars. I see people doing it all the time. And I'm like, dude, that would make me feel so gross. So I never do that. I don't flaunt my wealth. Um, I tell people what is real and what I use in my real life. And if that pisses them off, so be it. Uh, I just want the people that are willing to listen to things that are true. Um, I want to help them. And my thing is, you would be hard pressed to convince me that the things I say aren't true because they've worked in my life. Now, you can definitely show me better ways and people show me better ways all the time. And I'm constantly refining um, the things that I you know, believe and act in accordance with. Um, but I don't spout bullshit ever. Love that. And I mean, one thing that I want to kind of discuss with you is also because I'm a martial artist. And for me, certain ways of handling myself and making the right decision in my mind, what I think is correct, even when it's difficult, that's something that I stand for. And, and I know that's something that you stand for as well. But how do you deal with that when you have so many yes sayers? Because now you're wealthy. Now people want to you know, take advantage or be, just have a picture with you, right? Uh, so how do you stay you know, connected to who you truly are and you know, stay on your course? Because I see that a lot of people have this issue and not even on, on the level that you are, but we all do in some, some way, right? My thing is partly because I didn't, I wasn't successful until I was well in my thirties. So I've still spent the bulk of my life struggling mightily, um, feeling stupid, you know, having to cobble the mindset together and all that. So, um, I, I don't have a problem staying humble because I'm failing so frequently. Uh, but to me, I don't value myself for, anything other than learning. So it's like, yeah, cool. I, I'm failing, but it, there's knowledge in that. And what I value myself for is learning from that. So that's easy. And then because I know that the truth of um, improvement is to want people to tell you what you're doing wrong, not to be surrounded by people that tell you what you're doing right. Um, that's very important. So I, if you've ever read Ray Dalio's book, Principles, um, he talks about that transparency, encouraging people, even your subordinates to tell you what is true, um, even when it's very painful. So I tell my staff, look, I want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong and I want my feedback aggressively and I want it in public. Meaning if you think I'm doing something stupid, I don't want you to be like, well, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. I want you to say, Tom, 
this is stupid and we should stop doing this immediately and here's what we should do. And the reason that I want my feedback aggressively and in public is so I can set the tone for the rest of the team because I don't want people to be emotionally fragile. I want people to be able to hear, that's fucking dumb. Stop doing that immediately and be like, oh yeah, okay, that actually is dumb. You're right, thank you. And then they, they just move on because it either is true or it's not. And if it is true that you're doing something that's dumb, you should want to know so that you can get better. And this should all be goal-oriented, right? So if you've got an insight that's going to help me move towards my goal, I want to hear it. Now, I don't always agree with people. They may say, Tom, that's really stupid. And I look at it and go, no, what you're proposing is worse. It doesn't move us towards our goal. You know, and, and that confidence comes from competence. It's like, I'm good at what I do. Um, so that that part of it's easy. Now, the, the sort of quote-unquote fame part, um, I... I had a, a sort of one, I don't invest in that. So I don't derive any self-worth from recognition or whatever minuscule amount of fame that I've gotten. Um, and also when I started doing this first um, was back when I was at Quest. And so I was starting to get recognized on the street. And then I, when I left Quest, because all of the social stuff that I built up was in the Quest name, I had to leave it at Quest. And so I had to start over from zero. and Three weeks after I left Quest, I didn't get recognized again. Nobody ever came up to me, nothing. And so I remember saying to Lisa, my wife, I was like, you are only ever three weeks from nobody knowing or caring who you are. So I was like, do not invest any part of your self-worth or self-esteem in somebody knowing you or recognizing you or anything like that. It, it is just, it's totally meaningless. And also, and this, this is, I didn't do anything to earn this, but this is a natural part of my personality. I forget so easily. So like now you know, COVID, I don't see people anymore. So whatever sense of um, fame and recognition that I got right up until COVID, where if I went out guaranteed, I was going to be recognized by somebody. Um, now I don't see anybody, but I don't, I don't even think about it. Like until you ask that question, I'd for, okay, Jesus, that's right. Until like four or five months ago, I would get stopped wherever I went. Um, and now I don't go anywhere. So I don't get seen by anybody, but I, I didn't invest in it as a part of my identity and by nature, things like that, just, they, they fall away from me so fast. Um, so yeah, that another one is, is easy for me. I love that. And, and, and that's a lesson. Don't, don't search for that. Like do like you say, get the fuck to work, you know, be legendary, do like be really good at something. It can be denied. Uh, and I have two more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, we're on a tight schedule here for you today, Tom, and I really appreciate your time. I've been, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a very long time, so I'm super grateful. Uh, did we so, get it in time? Is this, is this the 200th episode, or did we miss it? We missed it. Dave Asprey was 200. This is 201. So close. That, <laughs> no, nobody's fault but my own. You, you, did, you did try. So uh, I don't know how many emails I've done, but, you know, uh, but this is, this is the thing that I, I love with, you know, I, I said, I, I need to talk to you. That's, I knew that in my mind. And I said, I'm not going to give up. And thanks to Chris, we made it happen. There was like stars align sometimes, you know, so I'm, I, I want people to hear a different story. Peter was crazy persistent. And he kept at it. He knew what he wanted. He went after it and he made it happen. Um, that is to be commended. And honestly, it only happened because I went and watched your content and I was like, all right, I resonate with this dude. I dig his style. Um, you're a fighter, but you don't come across as like an alpha dickhead. Uh, so I was, I was very impressed. So uh, kudos to you, man. Thanks, brother. Uh, happiness. Is happiness and success the same thing? Can they go hand in hand? And like, how, how do we find that balance? Well, that all comes down to how you define success. So success 
by worldly standards have absolutely nothing to do with happiness. And I will also say that happiness, I wouldn't strive for happiness. So fulfillment is far more interesting. So a bowl of ice cream will make you happy. I'm, I'm just talking from a neurochemistry perspective. As you eat that, you're going to get so much dopamine flooding your system and it will feel so good. Even the buildup, like if you like go to Cold Stone and you're waiting in line and they're doing the mix-ins and you're like, oh my God, it's going to be amazing. And then you're sitting there and you're eating it. And you know, like for me, if I'm eating ice cream, I'm with my wife. We always do it as a shared thing and we're probably watching something cool. And so it's like, I'm watching something awesome. I'm with my favorite person. I'm eating the ice cream. I knew all day I was going to eat it. So it's like, yeah, but that shit is so short-lived. And you can be knocked off that happiness by a million things two seconds later. Fulfillment, on the other hand, like I said, is born of doing hard things in service of yourself and other people. It's meaning, it's purpose. It's like going really hard to do rad shit. That, even in those moments where you fail, it's like you're still that person, right? So you can imagine losing a fight sucks. But as you walk away, you go, I know me, man. I'm going to show up. I'm going to put in this work. I'm going to learn from this defeat. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be better than ever. And it's like some part of you also knows, even when I get to the point where I can't fight anymore and I'm just, I'm past that part of my career, I'm going to be able to look back and say, I fucking left it all out there. I was unafraid. I got into that ring or I, I was afraid, but I was courageous and I faced that fear and I got in the ring and I fought. And I know I'm going to get to feel good about that for the rest of my life. That's fulfillment. It's not transient the way that happiness is. And even in a down moment, you still have that sense of self. So I would say that's critically important. So the easiest way to sum up the difference between success and fulfillment, or I'll let people call it happiness here for the sake of this question, is don't worry about winning a championship. Worry about being capable of a championship performance. So for instance, let's say that you never won any major tournaments in your life, and you, could, you couldn't put that moniker, right? And all you could say is, I'm a martial artist. You couldn't say that, you know, I won all this stuff. But you knew that you gave it your everything. There's no question. Some part of you would be like, oh, man, it'd be great marketing if I could say this. But like this, I am a Inc. 500 entrepreneur, but I came in second place. And it's like, now, what do I do? Do I feel badly about that because I didn't get the number one spot? Or do I say, yo, the person that I became in order to build a business that grew by 57,000% in three years in manufacturing, employees, equipment, square footage, all of it. Is that what I should be impressed about? Or should my story be about I came in second instead of first? And my thing is, look, I don't even think about it. So the fact is, I have developed a set of skills. And that set of skills lets me navigate my life incredibly powerfully. So I care deeply about that set of skills. The second or first as an entrepreneur, that's just marketing. Boom. Last question. I know you got to go. Uh, after people leave this show, and thank you guys for still being here with us, what is the first thing they should do to get a little bit closer to their goal, their dream? Write it down. Write your goal down. I promise you, if I sat with each and every one of you, you think your goal is specific, and it is not. So here is what 99.99999% of the people that I encounter, here's what their goal sounds like. Tom, don't worry. I got this. I've heard you. I know it needs to be specific. So here it is. I want to win a gold medal. Boom. And I'm like, for the love of God, a gold medal in what? The Olympics? Yes. Amazing. Summer or winter? Summer. Fantastic. Swimming or tennis? Swimming. Backstroke? 
freestyle medley, breaststroke, where are we at? Because you have to get down to the point where you know what Olympics you want to compete in, what sport you want to compete in, so you know how you have to train. Remember, this is all a question of what do you have to learn? What is the skill set that you have to build? And if your goal is not hyper-specific, how much, by when, just down to the nubbins, then you won't know what to do today to reach your goal because it is all about a series of actions that either move you towards your goal or away from your goal. And that's it. And most people live in a world where the goals are so vague, they feel like they're doing something and they're just treading water. That's it, guys. Thank you so much, Tom Bilyeu, for coming on the show. I truly appreciate you. Guys, give him some love. Give him a follow, give him a follow and check him out on Impact Theory. He has an amazing university, Impact Theory University. Tom, I, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. It was awesome. I appreciate the time. Thank you. And everybody, if you're still here, give me some love too. I want to reach 10 million people in 10 years and help them out. So share this with someone that needs to hear this message. Check us out. You know, we're here to help. Send me, tell me about your goals. I want to be able to help you. That's it. We can't take more of your time or more importantly, Tom's time right now. Thank you so much, brother. Take care and see you guys soon. <music>